Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we've had together this week, for the obvious presence of your spirit. And as we tackle some sensitive issues, Lord, we pray that all of us here can be receptive to your spirit, talk calmly and quietly together, Lord, and be able to maybe not resolve everything and come away with perfect answers, Lord, but at least begin a dialogue that we may be blessed by the time we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Tom Hertig. I'm from North Phoenix. Brother Bob Varga will be next and Brother Louis Yan next. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover. What we thought we'd do today um, is cover a number of sensitive issues. Each one of us is going to tackle a different one. Um, and the idea of this, the premise of this, is to really just start a dialogue. As you see, the, the topic is, uh, the title is Sensitive Issues, the Proverbial Elephant in the Room. Does everyone understand that phrase? There's times when something is so obvious, so huge, it's the elephant in the room, but no one wants to say anything because it's so obvious and it's so blatant. Um, and some of the issues that we cover today are just that way. Hence, the elephant in the room. Our goal today is to provide an introductory exploration into a few topics that affect us and our churches. And the goal is not to definitively cover these things and have all the answers for you. The goal is just to spark your interest in these ideas and topics, be open and frank about discussing them, and allow you to have a little dialogue with us today. We're going to hopefully leave some time at the end. Um, but even more importantly, to take these ideas home with you and maybe have a discussion at home how to tackle some of these things and do better at dealing with them. So that's the idea. Um, what you're going to notice as a theme underneath all of these is that many of these ideas and topics um, have a common bond. How we make decisions and how we act is often impacted and influenced by things other than Scripture. Do we need to beware? Uh, we're going to find out that a lot of the ways we deal with things and handle things is not necessarily based on Scripture, but other influences are dealing with them. And so that's kind of why we want to have a caution about those things, because we are influenced by them. First issue that I'm going to cover, I'm going to hopefully do in about two minutes. And I was not going to cover this, but it kind of came up this year again in some conversations that I had. And I wanted to give it as a brief, uh, great example of just what we're talking about in terms of influences. Are Christian sinners... Are Christian sinners, this is a loaded question, I know you're nervous about it, are Christian sinners, but I love asking loaded questions. Okay. Very often, in recent years, I've heard on Christian radio, or I've seen in books, the description of Christians, redeemed Christians, we're all just sinners. Are you comfortable with that? I wasn't sure how to feel about it when I heard it, Again, maybe a few years ago, the first time that I heard it more and more again, and I really started thinking about it, and it really, it really makes me uncomfortable. I'm passionate about it. I hate that phrase. Now, let it be said, do Christians sin? Absolutely. And yet, to categorize a redeemed Christian as a sinner, I think is exceedingly wrong. Um, someone look up for me these verses, Romans 1, 7, Romans 16.2, Romans 18.7, and 1 Peter 2.9. Let's actually start right up here. Um, can we have you look those up right in line here so I know where, who's looking them up? Romans 1.7, and let's look those up. We'll read those in a moment. But here's the thing. 
Why do you think that that phrase has begotten, become so prevalent? Why do you think? First of all, have you heard it on Christian radio, in books, in Christian discussions? Oh, a lot of hands. Why do you think it's a prevalent statement? Why has it kind of gotten um, some momentum? We inherited it from AA. Okay. They begin. We're drunk. Okay. Okay. What else? Barbara. Uh, reaction against the idea that Christians never sin. Okay. It almost takes out some of the heat of, oh, you Christians are so perfect. No, I'm still just a sinner. I'm getting myself to your level if you don't know the Lord, right? Anybody else? I think, though, it's a, it's a great tool of the devil to convince people that we don't really have to be changed because we just continue in sin and let grace about That's perhaps what disturbs me the most, is that if I'm talking to someone and I'm saying, you know, really, if you look at Scripture, um, you, are, you are in a sinner state right now. And if I then say to them, and I'm a sinner too, if I'm that sinner, I say to myself, why are you taking my time? What is the point of me changing from sinner status to sinner status? Uh, let's read some of these verses. Romans 1, 7. Call that be in Rome, God, call to be saints. Call to be saints. Thank you. Keep going. Now, I'll propose to you that if you go to someone that you're witnessing to and say, I want you to know that I am a saint. It, it may not go over that well, but you have to qualify it. But I'd rather you say that than say, I'm a sinner just like you. The next one, brothers. 16.2. As becometh, again, saints. What's the next one say? 18, oh, that's a mistake. First Peter 2, 9. But ye are chosen generation, the royal priesthood, and holy nation, and picture of the people, that ye should choose forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. What are those? Chosen generation, royal priesthood. Wow. Should we classify ourselves as sinners? The, day, the challenge is, to classify myself as these things is very humbling. But the bottom line is, what's the right answer? What does scripture say? Those are the classifications. Those are the terminologies we should tell people. Okay. We're moving on. Um, we've discussed it among ourselves. We're going to try to keep each of our segments around 15 minutes so that we have a good elapse of time at the end. If you have a comment or statement about um, one of these uh, sections of this forum today, please write it down, and we'll have, hoping to have some time at the end. Uh, my next topic is reaching the hurting, the drifting, the discouraged, dot, dot, dot. What is our current plan in terms of our churches and dealing with people that, are, that we see as maybe starting to drift away from the fellowship? Maybe their attendance is not so good, or maybe we sense a disconnect in our relationships. What's our current plan? I, I knew that that someone was going to... Who said that? I, I knew that that would probably be one of the answers, and yet I would maybe say that we, some, we kind of have something that's maybe amorphous, and there's some things that happen, but we really don't have 
a definitive great plan. What is our um, typical default plan? Pray. Pray, yeah. Someone else will take care of it. Yeah. Who? Who else? Who else? Ministers. Ministers and elders. That's really their domain. Whenever something that I'm not comfortable with, that's their domain. Ministers and elders. Is it your domain? It is, it is your domain, but it is not exclusively your domain, which is what you were saying. It is a church problem. And the solution is a church and I hesitate to use the word strategy, but it really needs to be. What are the signs of someone that's hurting, drifting, pulling away from the fellowship? And it could be a believer. It could be someone that's just um, uh, someone that comes to church all the time that's not a believer. What, what are the signs? Isolation. Isolation. Poor attendance. Poor attendance. Bitterness. Bitterness. Negativity. Negativity. Complaints. Complaints. Excellent. Are there always signs? Are there people that are really good at hiding the hurt? I'm, I'm pretty good at it, frankly. So even though there are times that it's pretty apparent and pretty visible, we have to realize that there are times where it's not that apparent or may not be apparent at all, and how can we then know that they're hurting? Ooh, this is a key. Close relationship and sometimes even just the Spirit of God. But we're going to get to that a little bit later. Thank you. Someone read Isaiah. Like, you know what? In the interest of time, I'm going to read it because I have it right here printed out. I'll get into the light. Isaiah 40 says, uh, 29, He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall fail and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount out with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does this verse suggest? What does it subtly kind of suggest when it says, even the youths shall faint and be weary? We're all frail. We're all? Frail. We're all frail. And it doesn't mean that we're all frail all the time, but what does it suggest? Even the youths that we know are robust and strong are going to have trouble. That means that everyone in this room is probably going to be one of those discouraged, weak, crumbling Christians or non-Christians at times. So we need to recognize that as much as this is a problem that that our churches deal with, it's going to be you sometimes, and I want you to participate in it with that understanding. Reaching the hurting, drifting, discouraged. Can we come up with a strategy? Is anyone uncomfortable with that word? As I started to think about this topic, I thought, a strategy sounds so mechanical. Well, here's our 14 steps of reaching the... But really, I want you to think in terms of we we do have to formulate some kind of a strategy, always underpinned with what? The moving of the Spirit. But we want to kind of give you some tools and keys to start thinking in terms of we have to come up with what we're doing now is really something very amorphous and really not defined and in many ways like no strategy at all. We want to come up with something that is more defined and more engaging. So that's, that's the goal for today. Who is involved? I already said. Who's involved in the strategy? Everyone. 
Everyone has to be involved. We all have to take ownership of this and work it together. And we'll talk about some reasons why that's the case. What are the two keys to coming up with a plan to reach people that are, the, you know, to have gone from the center of the fire that are cooling ember now? How do we, what are the two of the keys, you think? Take a guess. Okay? Love? Relationships. Relationships to communicate. All the answers given were correct, but the keys are relationships and communication, and even those are very highly intertwined. Tools. I've made a list of tools here. Um, prayer is at the top, but is prayer enough? If we all go out of here saying, you know what? When I see people hurting in church, I'm going to pray for them. Is that a bad thing? Not at all. But is that enough? It's not enough. It's not enough. Here's some basic things that almost everyone in here has a capacity to do. Even those of you that do not have email, don't own a computer, there is still snail mail. Okay? So we prayer, conversation, phone calls, emails, letter and card. What other could be added to the list? Because I didn't think of everything, I'm sure. I just want to make a little bridge between the last issue and this one. Yes. Because, uh, because we want to be saints, and uh, we are comfortable calling ourselves sinners, sometimes we lie, Transparent is on the next one or two slides. Very important point. What, it, what's gonna, what you see happening is I'm talking about tools, which in many ways might be the end, but the end of this presentation, which is almost over, is going to actually talk about some foundational things that need to be in place that are much more important than just understanding the tools. So any other tools that should be added to this? Pray for yourself to have the grace to love that person. Amen. Amen. Anything else? Music. Music. Excellent. Listening. Listening. And that's part of communication and conversation, but really important. Because if you see someone drifting and they're in trouble, if you're thinking you're going to go up there and preach them a sermon and bring them back, in many cases what has to happen first is listening. Just listening. Great. If you see a problem or concern... This came up because we did a study on this at home. One of the most important things to understand is if you see the concern, what's critical? You need to understand that who needs to do something about it? You have to take it. If the Lord has revealed this person hurting you, and maybe it was obvious, maybe it wasn't, but if the Lord's put it on your heart, you must do something. Quench not the Spirit. I want to read a couple of verses here for this portion. Hosea 6 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days he will retrieve us, revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. And I'll skip on to the others. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set them at liberty that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is powerful to me because it says, if you are inspired that someone is hurting, heal the brokenhearted. Scripture says you have an obligation 
to go and find some way to heal the brokenhearted. And Jude says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy that our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. What I like about that verse is that what does it suggest in terms of helping others? Compassion, pull out of the fire. What does that suggest? Different approaches are going to be necessary. Who's going to tell you which approach to use? The Spirit. Great. Assess your position. You may have a great relationship with this person that you see is hurting. Do you think it would probably behoove you to talk with them? Yeah, it would. And that relationship is critical. We'll talk about that more in a minute. What if you don't know this person very well at all? What should you do? Get to know them better. Great. What else? Oh, we talked about this last night, and it was kind of heated. Talk to those that do know him. Is that perilous? Is it dangerous? And yet, might it be spirit-led and valuable? Yeah. What's the danger? What's the big danger in it? It becomes gossip. So if you're going to go and seek out some help and maybe talk to some people that are closer, beware. Don't let it turn into gossip. Go with a heart of, I need to help this person. And if they're in trouble, I'm not going to ask you what the problems are or what the details are. I just maybe need to know if, if you're so close to them, what approach might be best. But beware and be cautious. Is that fair, Barbara? Okay. Thank you. Um, talk to those that are close. Has three question marks. Strategize, get advice, listen to the spirit, caution. Um, at the very least, your action has to be prayer, but in many cases, in most cases, you should probably approach that person. If you go to that person in total and complete love, may they not receive it well? They may not receive it well. Might that hinder your approach? Yeah. Should you do it anyway? If your heart is in love and compassion, just do it. Just do it. I think this is my last slide. Hallelujah. Time's running out. Background preparation, which is what Brother Edwin was talking about. Be prepared to get out of your comfort zone. Improve relationships. This is critical. As a church body, going to church on a Sunday is not enough for your relationships. You have to spend time with people one-on-one, have their family over, spend time with them. Get to know people transparent. That's the word that he said. We need to be more transparent, both if I'm the one that wants to help and if I'm hurting. I have to be willing to say, I'm hurting today. Ask better questions. If you're talking every time at church, how are you? And your answer is always good, you're missing the boat. We talked about that this is kind of getting very clunky. If every Sunday you ask me how I'm doing, but how you really are doing, and I enumerate the good and bad of my week, it might get it might get traumatic and take a long time. And yet, the idea we came up with, which is maybe just a work in progress, is if I, had a, if I rate my week on a scale of 1 to 10, 5 and up being I had a pretty decent week, 
My answer should be, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. But if my week was five or less and I'm kind of hurting, I should say, you know what? I had a tough week. Maybe we should talk later. Fair enough? We're moving through these things I know very fast. Um, and this is the key about transparency. Our fellowships, we need to act more like a family. And sometimes families are pretty blunt with each other, are pretty transparent with each other. We need to do that more. We don't know where the uh, remote is for sure. I don't want to mess things up with this one. Um, I got the topic influences, and it's a, it's a pretty broad topic. Uh, so we, we narrowed it down into the topic we called majority report. And uh, yeah, I'm going to do that right now. Uh, we did the topic called, I, we narrowed the topic down to majority report, and the notion of the influences of contemporary Christian society on us, um, which narrows it down to a 15-minute subject easily, and we're going to cover it in 10 minutes without a problem. <laughs> uh, but there's this notion, just and again, really quickly, uh, talking about the fact that what you're going to see is these uh, sensitive issues, they're potentially personally sensitive. And let me give you an example. Um, you're having a men's Bible study, or ladies' Bible study, or group Bible study at your church. and so. We're all gathered together for a men's Bible study at church, and, and we're sitting down, and, and we, we are getting ready to pray. And one of the brothers shows up, and, and he like, sits down, and he's like, Brothers, I've got this great idea. And your heart kind of sinks. <laughs> Anybody been there? <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, he's like, you know, I was, I've been driving around a lot this week, and uh, as I've been driving, I've been noticing things, and I think we should do this. I've been noticing that churches are doing this. They're putting up billboards. And they're putting the picture, their pastor, up on top, or the minister, the, the preacher up on, on the billboard. And, they're, and you know, these are all big churches with a lot of people in them. And I, I think we should do the same thing. Sensitive issue. <laughs> um, anything technically wrong with this? Up for debate. Um, do we know how to deal with this issue? Well, we're trying to think really quickly on our feet now, aren't we? Right? You're, you're just kind of spinning. Okay, can we just pray and start the Bible study, please? <laughs> it's not something we want to talk about, is it? Um, that's the notion behind this. Why is this? Okay, good. I did spell it. Why is this sensitive? Um, you know, part of the reason that this is sensitive is that, that we've all got different ideas. Um, and different leadings, different cultural backgrounds on, on what the church is going to be, needs to be. Um, some, of us, some of us look at the church and we see a praying church, and we think that, that this is the focus that we need to be. We need to be praying. Uh, we need to be focused on, on what the Lord is leading us to do, on fasting. Um, absolutely. Some of us see compassion, uh, mercy, suffering reaching out to those that are hurting, that are poor. Um, evangelism in the, in, the, in, the, in the truest sense of the word that, that the Apostle Paul and, and Jesus did. Uh, this is my class this week. <laughs> 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 Parents, if you're in here, be proud. Look at, look at, 
look at the intensity with which they're studying the word, right? <laughs> um, some of us look at, 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 the, at the church and we see a church that is study, a study-oriented church that's in the word, that, that needs to be there, and that's what the focus needs to be. This is the Windsor Youth Group. Uh, some of us see fellowship and youth and vibrancy as the focus of the church. We, we've all got different focuses. Um, some see the notion of a large church. And, and so we look at these notions and we look at these ideas and, and we look at our church and sometimes we don't see it, do we? If, if I want a praying church or if I want a large church and I, and I, and I look at my church and it's not that and, and, and I struggle with it and I, and I pray about it and I, and I ask the Lord why and help me to find reasons uh, that this isn't the case. Help me find a solution for why we aren't what we need to be. And so one place to turn to is, is the Christian church at large. You know, it's working over there. Why don't we just do what they're doing? Uh, you know, they're hitting it on the, they're hitting it the nail on the head at my friend's church. And, and these, are the, these, are the, these are the things that they're doing, and I want to introduce them into my church so that we can have the same success. Um, I apologize for those of you that are on this side. I can only go so far. But uh, crosswalk.com. Anybody ever use crosswalk.com? A uh, few people raise their hands, right? It's a, Christian-oriented kind of social website, community website for, for the Christian community at large. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I am advocating crosswalk.com through this, um, but it is a place that I've used in the past for resources, for information, for, uh, for finding out kind of current events from a Christian's viewpoint. They'll talk about the, the persecution that's going on in other parts of the world. Uh, I don't know if you can uh, read the top line in, in the Today section. Um, Though, it says, he said, she said, can friends who've dated be friends again? Uh, we, start to, we start to also be influenced when we, when we are using Christian media, and this starts to hint at maybe some of the, the potential dilemmas that start to happen when we're influenced and when we're looking to Christian community at large, uh, is, uh, is looking at, at what else you're getting. Um, I love this one, and I've outlined it. Okay, so we've got the he said, she said thing. How about this one, for men only? Does my spouse need to know? <laughs> That's a great heading, isn't it? <laughs> How about, uh, I, I didn't get the, this one, but uh, trying too hard to be perfect for women, or get the body God planned for you. <laughs> but, that's, but that's right above... Get this, that's, that's right above the traits of a godly wife. Um, boy, when you open yourself up to the Christian community at large, you open yourself up to everything, don't you? Um, just on, on one website. I thought of this one, too. Um, I'm hoping that not too many people are using this. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we've all heard about it. And this is a trend in the Christian community, and you know, this is, this is a way to, 
to do things, be harmony. Um, they even ask you, I haven't done it. <laughs> I'm happily married. <laughs> <laughs> but they do ask questions about your spiritual state, and they ask questions. I have friends that have done it. Um, not from our church in most cases. Um, note that I said in most cases. Uh, they, they do ask about your spiritual state, about kind of where you are, what kind of Christian you are, right? Uh, eHarmony asks that so that they can start to pair you up, try to pair people up spiritually. Interesting. Not advocating it. Think about the potential consequences to our fellowship. Okay, this is an extreme. Um, but the influence of, of the Christian community, Joel Olstein, I'm not going to say anything else um, other than recognize that it ranges the spectrum, right? I mean, we are going from one end of the extreme to, to the other end of the extreme. Um, but there are positive things. I mean, there's positive things that we as a church have already embraced. Um, and the reason this is tricky now, too, think, think about it as a sensitive subject, is that there's some of us that are embracing these ideas, and others are not. And then how do we relate to each other? Within churches? Like, you know, how does, how does Beverly Hills relate to Windsor? Or Windsor to West Akron? Or Windsor and Kitchener? So we can deal, we're, now we're dealing with it on a church level basis, but how do we deal with it on a personal level? How do I deal with you and you deal with me, and how do we talk if, if you know, I'm attacking and, and going full force on some of these topics on, in some of these areas, and you are really restrained? And I, that hopefully the billboard idea and concept kind of brought that across. Uh, the positive things. You know, Christian books are positive. Uh, potential. <coughs> Christian electronic media, positive, sometimes. We've, we've embraced ma marriage counseling methods, right? We, we even, in some cases, when, when we know of, of people that are having marriage trouble and we don't see a solution, what's the last resort in some cases is, is to say, you know, you need to seek a Christian marriage counselor. Because we don't have those, we don't have that ability in house. Um, so some of these methods are being embraced. Uh, premarital counseling methods, right? We're in some cases we're setting up our own studies based on existing books, or in some cases uh, we are providing or suggesting books to our friends. Not even I'm not talking church uh, from a from a leadership point of view or from a kind of a, a corporate point of view, but more just even personally. Uh, Addiction counseling methods we are embracing from other churches. Uh, we can learn from others' experiences. Just as a really quick you know, side note, when, when we notice in our church that, uh, that we are losing, and brothers, this is for young brothers, this is now a call to arms, right? We are losing and finding a trend that we're having fewer and fewer young brothers step up. To be, the, to be the future leaders of our church, to be the strong future leaders of our church and embracing our fellowship in that sense. Um, we wonder, you know, I personally wonder, is it me? Is, this, uh, is it something that we're doing? You know, I start to find out, though, that in talking to some of my friends that go to other churches, that you know what, 
their churches are experiencing the same problem. They're seeing growth in, in, in women, but they're seeing a decline in young men. So it's a positive to be able to understand and see the trends that's at the bottom that are happening globally. So there are positive things. Uh, teaching methods, study, resources, potentially. Uh, dietary needs. Identifying trends, all possible positives. Uh, there are some negatives, though, too. And even in the, in the previous slide, we would argue that, that there are all of those, or maybe not all of them, but a good chunk of those could be flipped and could be called negative. Uh, I'd say the biggest, to me, uh, the biggest potential downside to the Christian community at large is the watering down of truth. And I'll get to that in a second. Uh, electronic media, you know, it's a positive. What's the big negative? How long does it take to set up a website, folks? Ten minutes. How long does it take to populate it with, with data? Uh, you know, maybe a couple days if, you're, if, if you know what you're doing. You can, you can grab data from other websites, link them or, to your website, or even copy-paste. And guess what? In a day or two, you have got a really professional-looking website today. Everything is equal. Your, your website could be, that website could be full of lies and no one would know it from looking at it. Everything is equal. Um, the potential to create new problems, and what I mean by this, and I'm almost out of time, is, uh, is you jump in, we jump in head first. We see something that's a trend, we see something that's occurring, we jump in head first, we're going after it, and without any of the experience to, to follow, and guess what, we reap the same benefits that everybody else is, both bad and good, don't we? Um, and I can talk to people plenty about examples of that, just been talking to, to friends of mine that, that I work with and stuff. Uh, dissension, division, sometimes um, moves us backwards rather than forwards in the risk of some really bad experiences. Um, anybody tell what that is? <laughs> right. Now, I don't know if the, anybody else is like this, but do you ever, when you see those in a store, doesn't your mouth start to water? <laughs> You see that Cadbury egg in the store and your mouth is already watering, right? You grab that Cadbury egg and you're peeling it off and you're just imagining, oh, this is so good, and you're, you're peeling it off and you take that first bite and about, about halfway into that first bite, your teeth are starting to hurt. <laughs> and inevitably, most of us never finish the Cadbury egg because <laughs> it's just too sweet. Um, you know, that kind of speaks volumes to, to the notion of recognizing um, and tempering ourselves with the choices that we're making. Things look very tempting sometimes, brothers, sisters, friends. Um, and it is so tempting to jump in and just grab it. The dilemma is sometimes it's just too sweet and we just can't finish. The other dilemma, and this is, this is a real dilemma, is that when you look at and I'm, I'm talking generally now, please don't take this specifically to a certain book or a certain subject, but generally speaking, uh, the Christian media has gotten to a point now where they're driven by advertising, they're driven by, by monetary needs in a lot of cases, folks. And, and there's a need, hence those websites and those hot, hot little topics right there that you click on. Um, they're driven by the need to, to either sell, to, to get money, um, not necessarily what they want to do in all cases, but by the need to do it. And so the notion is, uh, how many times did they hit there? How many times did they hit there? Whoops. How about there? 
boy, you're getting more and more into the bullseye as you get, make the bullseye bigger. And the notion is, is that a lot of times, folks, um, to churches, media, they need to make that target huge so that they can nail as many as they can, right? So you generalize, you broaden, you dilute. Keep that in mind as a warning. Um, just a couple of verses, Proverbs 15.22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Recognizing, if we're going to honestly recognize that, that other churches are Christians as well, we need to recognize there are positives in those churches sometimes and that there might be a benefit to gleaning information from them. Right? That's the argument for a verse like this sometimes. But recognize also, as was this is, a, this is from Werner's sermon last night, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast already been assured of. That there is, there is not, no equal to experience in learning from, the, from what's already known. Um, and then Ephesians 4.14, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro. Search the scriptures, pray and fast, counsel together with leadership. <clears throat> Recognize that it's just, that it, because it's right for another church, it doesn't mean it's right for us. God has a specific purpose for us. Um, this needs to be carefully explored with leadership, carefully explored and thought, prayed about, fasted over. Um, and then there's a lot of other suggestions that we can talk about later, hopefully. Oh, and the notion that the, there's actually a minority report that we need to consider. When everything else is grayed out, the truth really stands out. Lewis gets the, the tough subject. Can everybody hear me? Okay, I'm doing uh, instituting change in our fellowships, and uh, I'm not as talented as the other brothers, so I'm going to re rely on a few of my notes here. But um, change is a very sensitive issue in everyone's life and uh, in any organization, and it is especially sensitive when it comes to uh, our churches. What I'm going to do to start the uh, forum is I'm going to just walk through God creating us and just set the stage that God does expect change in our lives and our whole creation is based on change. Um, God's plan for his creation involves constant change. He expects us to change positive and con continually positive. But aside from being changed continually positive, will take us right to the Garden of Eden and after Adam's and Eve's sin, there was a huge change in mankind. They went from the Garden of Eden to working for the rest of their lives. The very first change in our life is being born. Imagine a baby in a mother's womb. That baby is in there, it's being fed, it's warm, it's comfortable. What's that? You take the, put yourself in the in the baby's position to saying, listen, you're going to have to leave that comfortable surrounding. You're going to have to come out in the world. God institutes that change. All of a sudden, He says, you know what? It's time for you to be born. It's a change. Great quote here. It says, most of us are about to, uh, is eager to be changed as we were to be born and go through uh, our changes in life with a similar state of shock. 
being born for a baby is a huge state of shock. That takes us to mankind on earth. Mankind on earth, God saw that there was evil abounded, okay? So he created a salvation plan. It's a huge change. What is the biggest change in your and my life? Anybody? Conversion? It is a huge change in our life. It's God looked at the earth and said, uh, behold, it was evil and, and corrupt. I've got to find a way to save my creation. John 3.3, 3, Jesus says, except the man be born again and can't see the kingdom See the, kingdom of God, see the kingdom of God, that is a huge change. Now, what's the next greatest change in a person's life? Anybody want to guess? Marriage? Uh, for most people, yeah. Is that a good change? <laughs> it is a great change. It's God-instituted change. Um, but... Marriage, thank you. What's the next biggest change in your life? Children, keep going. What? Death. Ultimately, the good Lord, at a time of his choosing, will step in and call us home. In effect, forcing change upon us, ready or not. We, we fight leaving this world, fear facing the unknown. And I think of it as a rebirth in the next world. What it is, it's another change. So what I'm doing is I'm setting the stage here to say that, you know what, we, as God's created be beings, we are changed from birth all the way through the process of death to the new life. And in between, God expects continually change, expect us to continually change. Now, now that we've got that framework set up to say that God expects change, let's look at it in our fellowships. I'm going to give this example. Everybody came here to camp probably in some sort of car for the most part. And when you all went to buy your car, you had a budget, 10, 20, 30, $40,000. I'm going to assume here, whatever your budget was, you didn't walk in the dealership and say, give me the oldest model you have. You probably went in there and say, I want, this is the money I have, I want the latest technology, I want GPS, power windows, Eric, I want the, the whole, everything. And you actually want that. And, and that's a huge change from, let's say, a car 10 years ago. I'll give you another example. You buy this car that's the most technologically advanced car you can afford, and you drive to church. Okay? So you arrive at church, and, and it's, it's missionary night, and you're going to have some guest missionaries. So you go into the church, and they set up a projector like this. They got a laptop with the latest of Microsoft, whatever, and they sh project these images up on the screen, and, and you're just, you think, this is great, it's wonderful. We got this technology, and, and it, it's great. We can see God's work out in the world. All this technology just came into the house of God like this. Not only did nobody say anything about it, but you embraced it. You want it. You're saying, you know what, that's great. If we could get a better projector, a better laptop, better software, better pictures, better images, it's wonderful. And so you just accepted all this change. You loved it. And then all of a sudden somebody says, you know what, 
church at 7 o'clock is not good. We should change it to 7.30. Then all of a sudden, whoa. <laughs> I didn't read that anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> and it, it, it stops. That was just a time change. You brought this computer into church. You bought a projector. That, you bought all this marvelous, wonderful stuff, and you brought it and you wanted it. How have we embraced the modern world? What I want to do is talk about changing procedures, schedules, and processes. The, the line separating procedures and processes, basically we're talking about customs, traditions, and doctrine. It's a, that line is actually blurred. We have our biblical tenets and doctrine, but the reality is our doctrine and biblical tenets are usually supported by customs and traditions. Customs and traditions are evolutions to support the biblical doctrines. Right here, I put down at those customs and traditions that support the biblical doctrines are for a given moment in time. And that's any given moment. I don't know if I have enough time to read through it, um, all this, but basically, I just itemized your customs, traditions, and doctrines. There is a difference. And that's where usually the problems lie when it comes to change. If you read this over, you can see that the customs and traditions are all support mechanisms to support doctrine. This is the, the million dollar question for this forum. Why should we change? I listed some, uh, some of the most common reasons for change. Practical reasons due to uh, scheduling of events. Like I just said, you want to change from the church from 7 to 7.30. Could be because people drive here or there. Social norms change. A big one is there's various processes that are written in the Bible where it says you must be baptized. When you're baptized, the baptismal service, the Bible doesn't say, well, you first have a song, then you have a prayer, then you, you know, these are all procedures that we deal with. And a lot of times we have a hard time changing those procedures because people say, hey, hold on here, that's biblical. Uh, other reasons, change the procedures uh, and process provide a positive net benefit that, that is either measurable or um, a positive influence that is subjective. The majority likes it. The last one here, um, it's a separate subject on its own, but a lot of times change is good just to break people out of their routine a little bit because sometimes we get caught in that rut where, where our eyes almost glaze over. I give the analogy of a person who comes in the church every Sunday, parks in the same spot, walks to the bench, sits down, Listen to the sermon, walks out. Sometimes I think you'd have to tape his bench off to, 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 like, you know, to make any change in their lives. They, they get in that routine. Sometimes it's good for us, sometimes it's not. For any change, there's got to be a driving force. These are the, the three driving forces that are usually the, the reasons for any change. First of all is the mi vocal minority. Unfortunately, a lot of changes that I would say are not always good happen because of the vocal minority. A lot of the leaders 
are coerced into initiating changes in order to pacify the local minority. Is this good? Is this wise? Another reason for change is the, uh, the vocal majority. Leaders react and initiate changes based on statistical majority of fellowships request a change. Is this the wise way to proceed? Another reason for change is church leaders have an agenda. Maybe uh, they have a conviction, uh, personal agenda. Is this wise? Is all change good? How do we limit our risk? Trial periods, gather feedback, follow scripture, obviously, and look at other churches in history. Why do we resist, resist change? My, from my original quote. These are the most common reasons for resisting change. And, um, I mean, read them over there. People will feel that uh, they don't, they say, you know, why do we need change in the first place? Um, the change probably won't even work. The way we're doing it now is fine. The old way is better. People are afraid that we will fail. Um, I'd like to jump right down to number nine. Is Most people resist change because they have an emotional attachment to the way they do things now. And they, that emotional attachment prevents them from looking at change objectively. A couple of quotes here that are very true. Any change, uh, even for the better, is always accompanied with drawbacks and discomforts. The first uh, step towards change is awareness. The second is acceptance. That leads us to our next slide, where there's three major reasons that I have, I'm going to note here that you need to implement change successfully. The number one reason, the number one method, excuse me, not reason, number one method to implement change is education. If the whole community, fellowship, church, or whatever, is not educated on why the change is supposed to happen, the chances of it being accepted are almost zero. Education is the number one thing because you can't just sit there and tell a person, well, we're going to change to 730 just because. You have to say because so-and-so has to drive from here and I'll give them a list of reasons. Very important. This, the second most important thing and probably just equally parallel with the education part is leadership endorsement. Any change, let's say there's a change and then everybody agrees on a change in a church or any organization and the church leaders don't really endorse it. It'll never happen then. Church leaders are very influential in the decision-making process for change. Spirit-led discernment and sound common sense reasoning is required. That should be common sense. Uh, once a change has been decided on, the leaders must endorse the change or it will never happen at all or in a timely manner. Last is ownership. In order for a change to happen, people have to take ownership of the change. And interestingly enough, Ownership is, comes by people understanding the change. They see that the leaders endorse it. And the reality is, a lot of people will take ownership of the change even though they don't A, understand it, or B, like the idea, but they are subservient to their leaders. And if the leaders endorse it, they will take ownership of the change based on the fact that the leaders endorse it. And that's, that's very important especially when you're trying to get change implemented into a church. 
But my conclusion is, God's love and mercy towards us is a constant. However, he expects us to continually change in a positive direction. And that's the end of my presentation. I know I flew through this rather quick. Um, Brother Tom, are we going to take questions? Sorry. I guess what we'll do is uh, open up to questions or comments. We all kind of flew through this. Um, but at least. Good, excellent question. I'm, I hope everybody heard that. Um, I've been a manager of, of uh, two different companies for the last 20 years, and I deal with that all the time. You know, we do things a certain way, and, and uh, not that a, not that an organization of a business is always like a church, okay? But there's there's definitely are parallel and similarities, and the, the change. The, the usually it's the vocal majority is the, the impetus for the change, or uh, a, a prudent elder or leader of the church will obviously maybe even suggest change, although I've had people, t uh, in conversation about my forum, people told me that most leaders are just trying to put the brakes on change everywhere. And that may be true, but the impetus to change is usually the vocal majority and obviously, if the church leader sees that something that needs improvement. However, like I said, a lot of times the changes come because of the vocal minority. And, I, and it's been my experience, at least in my own personal life, that that usually is not a wise thing. You're right. It's very much hand in hand. It's almost pretty much parallel. Education, leadership endorsement. Because the reality is the leadership, are, for the most part, does the educating. Yes. Excellent.
deciding what that ought to be, the implementation becomes easier and the ownership almost And then going along with that, Brother Bob, the reality is if a change is going to happen, the reality is a majority or a group has asked for that change, so they've already taken ownership of it. And then it moves on from there. There's no doubt that's going to happen, for sure. And that being said, a lot of times, if they follow the leader for the sake of following the leader, in other words, you know, I will follow my elder's decision even if I don't quite agree with it. And a lot of times, that alone will be a good enough, good enough method or mechanism to take ownership. And, and that's a tough one, there's no doubt. is improving the relationships we have with one another at church. If our relationships and our candor and our transparency with one another is better, and we are not walking around like on oh, this perfect Christian, um, we all are, are more open with who we are and sharing, and I can talk about changes or influences from the outside with one another, everything gets better. And I want to encourage us all to kind of pursue that. I think one other thing that we may have left out is um, surrounding We'll talk later. <laughs> no, uh, the, um, then you're, you're in the reality is you're probably dealing with, like, with the vocal majority. Usually. Your question is almost on the macro level of, of what I was talking about within a church. That being a, a group of churches decide this is the way we are going to head, and that one church, that this is on a macro level, saying no, we, that we don't agree with that, but we will follow along because the leaders at large of, let's say, the found, elder foundation or so on, say that that's, this is what we stand for, this is what we, we agree with. So you will go along because you support the leadership at large. So it's a macro level. Oh. Thank you for coming. <laughs>